there's one passage in particular uh, surrounding Palm Sunday that it's really one of probably one of my favorite little lines in scripture and something that I think is important to reflect on. It's kind of going to frame our conversation today. Uh, I don't know what your experience with Palm Sunday is, but growing up, it was like the, well, next to Easter, the, the, a, a big celebration. But there's this scene in Luke 19, uh, uh, which is the scene where we see Jesus entering into Jerusalem. And it, it's, it's what we celebrate on Palm Sunday. Jesus is entering into Jerusalem. The people of Jerusalem are celebrating his arrival. They're singing praises and they're, they're I mean, it's like the Beatles show up, right? They're crying and, and, and screaming and they got palm branches and they're laying down their, their cloaks on the street for him so he can walk over or he's on a donkey so he can go over the cloaks. And it says in Luke 19, verse 41, that as he enters into the city of Jerusalem and gazes on the city, Jesus wept. He mourned over the city at this time of celebration. And, and he's looking at the city of Jerusalem. He's coming down the hill because you come down from the hill in the east into Jerusalem. And he's looking at the city and he is, he is driven to tears, to mourning. His heart breaks for the city. He sees the pain and the brokenness of the people, the longing for, for things to be better. Uh, and and he, he's heartbroken over that. He also knows that there's many people in the city of Jerusalem and all over the world that won't understand who he is and why he really came and what he really came to do. And it breaks his heart. And so what that uh, does, at least for for our conversation today, it kind of introduces us to where I want to start. And it's with this thought exercise. I want us to take a moment and think about our world, our context that we live in. You can think about your neighborhood or the city of Knoxville or maybe our country, or maybe our world as a whole. Think about our world and, and, and think of something that is wrong with the world that we live in. Something that is in this world that is not the way it should be, right? What breaks your heart about our world? So just take a minute, think about that, and then I'm gonna have a few of you just share what came to mind, all right? So why don't you do that? Well, that's great. Thank you guys for sharing. All those are, are really, really important. Um, so this wasn't very hard, right? We all can agree that there are things in this world that are not the way they're supposed to be, right? There are things that are inherently wrong with this world. Now, we might... Um, uh, uh, well, so, so this is something that everyone to some extent, regardless of your belief or tradition or worldview, everyone to some extent can agree uh, on, on this fact, that, that we can imagine a world that is better than the one we see around us. Now, we might disagree on what that world could look like, right? What, what exactly is wrong with this world and how do we get to that better world or if we ever will get to that better world, we might disagree on those things. But we can all agree that the world we live in is not the best it could possibly be. We can imagine something better. And and hopefully, I think all of us here have a longing for our world to be that better world. And I think a lot of us, a lot of people share that longing, both in and out of the church. So the question uh, for today is, what does the Bible have to say about this? Right? 
what does the Bible have to say about, about the fact that we see a world around us that is not the way it should be and, and, and we long for a better world? Well, quite a lot, actually. The Bible has a lot to say uh, about this question. In fact, the story of the Bible is all about why we see this brokenness around us and why we recognize it as unnatural and, and inherently wrong and, and why we, we have this longing for something better. That's what the story of the Bible is all about. Not only that, but the Bible tells us where this world is headed, right? It tells us that there is, in fact, hope for our world to be that better world and that God is, is working and actually has been working to bring us towards that better world. That's what the Bible says. Now, you might be hearing that and, and think, well, that's not really what I heard growing up. But the, the, there is a big problem, and the fact is that a lot of people who grow up in the church don't really get a clear explanation as to how the Bible talks about this and how, the, how God is addressing this. And this is true for people that, that are currently in the church and people who, who may have grown up in the church and are no longer or people who have never been in the church. Most people, if you ask them, what is the main story or the main message of the Bible would not have a message that addresses these sorts of things that we just talked about. Would you guys agree on that? Right? Okay. So instead, what, what happens is people get a story, uh, or people think the Bible tells a, a very different story, one that goes like this. Now, I'll preface this. Uh, many of you have seen this, okay? Uh, there's a reason why we're revisiting it, and we'll revisit a lot. But just, just know that. If you think like, okay, we've seen this a couple times, you're not crazy. All right. Um, this is the story that most people get, or most people think that the Bible communicates, the main message. So God created this place called Earth, right? It, it started out good, but it's become, uh, because of, of bad decisions on, on the part of, of people and all that, it's become a, a really complicated place that's uh, beautiful yet tragic and, and has some good things, but has some really, really bad things. Um, and, and, it's, and it's not always looking good, right? It's, it doesn't seem to be headed in a great place. So that's this place called Earth. Now, God's put us on this world. We'll say, we'll use me for example. God's put us on this world, and he's given us a life here on Earth. Now, someday, our lives or the world will come to an end. And at that point, God's going to send us to one of, one of two places. Okay, the first place being heaven. And that's the good place, right? The bad place being a place called hell. Now, there's a division between these spaces, right? Heaven and hell are thought of as uh, kind of otherworldly, disembodied spiritual realities, right? They're spiritual realities. Whereas our life here on earth is thought of as a, a physical reality, so most of us think, or most people think, that there will be a time in history where, where kind of God closes the curtain on, on history as far as the physical world, and eternity goes on as a spiritual reality, okay, in one of two places. Now, how we get to one of these two places, you might hear different things on depending on who you ask. For some of us, it's, you know, you, you, at some point in this life, you say a particular prayer, and then that kind of signs the deal and you get into heaven. For some, 
it's holding a right set of beliefs about who God is and about Jesus specifically that qualifies you for heaven. Others might say it's about being a good person, okay, doing more good things than bad things, okay, or being part of a particular community. That is what determines where, where you end up. Okay. Is this familiar, at least, for some, along the same lines of something that you've heard at some point? Okay. Would you agree that this is the general assumption, both in and out of the church, that, that this is generally the story of the Bible, or the main message of the Bible communicates? Okay. So there's a problem with this story. There's a lot of problems with this story, actually. But, but the main problem with this story is it's actually not reflected in the Bible. Yeah, there's actually nowhere in the Bible where you can find this story articulated. Particularly, uh, well, all over the Bible, but particularly when you look at the life and teachings of Jesus, right, who is the central uh, focus of this story, you can't find anything that, that tells this story in this way. Now, if this is what you believe, you may be able to pick out little pieces from the Bible that seem to reinforce something like this. But if we're to take scripture, the whole of scripture, and look at it with fresh eyes, we will see that it tells a very different story. Not one like this, but something very different. So that's what we're going to look at uh, today. We're going to look at the story that, that scripture tells. And obviously, it's going to be a real broad overview. Um, and, uh, but, but what we're going to do, and, and you may recognize some of this from the last Sunday that we were together in our series surrounding Easter last year. Well, we're starting with that, and we're going to unpack this over the next two months. Okay, so this is a big overview, but we're going to get the story of, of Scripture here today, uh, generally speaking, and, and have some sort of visual uh, to take with us. So we're going to look at a few pieces of Scripture, the first one being Mark chapter 1, uh, verse 14. So if you have your Bible or the bulletin, it's printed in there, you can follow along. Let me pray for us before we read this scripture. God, uh, I just pray that right now you join us in this space, Father, and that you fill our hearts and our minds with your spirit. Allow us to see what you want us to see in your word. Allow us to hear what you want us to hear. Uh, and may this, this word transform uh, our hearts and minds so that we can look more like Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. So our first scripture we're going to look at is Mark Chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. It says, Now after John, talking about John the Baptist, that guy in the desert eating locusts and honey, after he was taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel. They proclaiming the gospel, or depending on the translation, the good news of God. Saying Now, if you want to know what Jesus thought about the main message of the Bible, what Jesus thought the gospel was, this would be where you'd look, right? Jesus going around proclaiming the gospel, and now he's going to say it. All right? So here we go. Verse 15. What is the gospel? Jesus says, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the gospel. So what is the gospel? What is the good news that Jesus is talking about? Jesus says here, repent and believe. So, so he's calling us to respond to something 
Something he just said. Repent is a, is a call to respond, a, a change of direction. You're going in one direction. Repent means to turn towards another direction. So respond to the gospel. And it's something that he just said. Look at what, what he says right before this. He says, the time has come and the kingdom of God has come near. So according to Jesus, the story of the Bible and the story that we are called to respond to and enter into, it culminates not in us leaving this earth and going somewhere, but in something coming here, right? Something called the kingdom of God. So the good news that Jesus is concerned about, the good news that Jesus went around talking about, is that God has come to earth, that he is is building his kingdom, his home here on earth. Let's look at another passage. It's the next one in your bulletin. It's Matthew 4, verse 17, and then we're going to read verse 23 as well. So this is written by Matthew. The first one was written by Mark. Uh, It says, from that time, Jesus began to teach, saying, repent, repent. For the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, Jesus seems to use these two phrases interchangeably. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, verse 23. Jesus was going about in all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And healing every disease and every sickness among the people. So we see this same idea here, right? Jesus is going around telling people the good news, telling people the gospel, that the kingdom of God, that heaven has arrived. But what else do we see happening? We see healing, right? Jesus is is healing people. He's going around and, and healing every disease and every sickness among the people. We see the effects of the kingdom of God beginning to take place. And interestingly enough, if you read through, which I encourage you to do, read through the four accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Whenever you read that Jesus proclaimed the gospel or proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, whenever he's proclaiming this gospel, it is almost always accompanied by people being healed of disease or physical ailments. It's almost always accompanied by by demons being cast out. It's always accompanied by him confronting the rich and the powerful and, and, and raising up the poor and the oppressed. In other words, Jesus goes around proclaiming the gospel and the effects described in the Bible are not, you know, people raising their hands like the old church heads up seven up, right? Put your head down. People raise their hands. It's not saying a special prayer. It's not people being tell, told you're going to go to heaven when you die. The effects of Jesus's gospel is that heaven has come here and healing and restoration and reconciliation take place here on earth. The effects of Jesus's gospel is that the brokenness of this world, the things that we see are wrong with this world, God is making it right. That's what happens every time Jesus is proclaiming the gospel. We see these effects happening. Last piece of scripture that we're going to read together is in Luke. Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. I put 1, 2, and I believe 6 in your bulletin. This, this uh, uh, blew my mind, so hopefully it does the same for you. Luke chapter 9, verse 1. 
Now Jesus called the twelve together, his followers together, and he gave them power and authority over all the demons and the power to heal diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. So they're doing the same thing that Jesus was just doing, right? They're going out, they're proclaiming the kingdom of God and performing healing. He said to them, take nothing for your journey, neither a staff nor a bag nor bread nor money, and do not even have two uh, tunics with you. And whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that city. And as for all those who do not receive you, when you leave that city, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. And then look what it says here in verse 6. And as they were leaving, they began going from village to village, proclaiming the gospel and healing everywhere. Now let's think about this for a moment. At this point, think about when you've heard the gospel, right? The things that you, you hear when, when someone articulates gospel, when you're taught to articulate the gospel, the, the key things that you need to know in order to do that. Now think about the disciples. At this point, did the disciples fully understand who Jesus was? Did they understand who he was? Did, did they know he was the son of God? They didn't. The, the disciples at this point did not really understand who Jesus was or, or they didn't fully understand why he had come. They, they didn't know that about the incarnation, that he was uh, God in human flesh. They did know that he was sent by God and he was unique and he had come to, to in a sense, bring the presence of God to the world. And he was a culmination of God's plan that they had heard about all through Jewish history. They did know that. But they didn't know that he was the son of God. Okay, here's another question. Did they know that he was going to die on the cross? No. They didn't even understand that after it had happened. They thought that they had been following a fraud when Jesus was killed on the cross. Did they understand, did they know what we're going to celebrate next week, that he would be raised from the dead? Of course not. They didn't know a lot of these things that we believe to be essential to the gospel. So what is this gospel that they were proclaiming? Because it can't be what we often think of when we hear the gospel. And it certainly can't be this. Now, I don't, I'm not saying that they didn't have some important things to figure out. Okay, I'm not saying that they, that, that, these things that they didn't know aren't important. They're absolutely important. But what I am saying is that Jesus was comfortable enough sending them out to proclaim the good news that he had been proclaiming, to say the things that he had been saying, and they obviously understood enough for Jesus to send them out to do that. So we must understand this gospel. We must understand this story that Jesus and his followers went around telling others about because it is very different from from this story. It's very different from many of the stories that I think we've heard and and really built our lives around. And it's going to take some effort to, to, to rework our minds around this story. Okay? So there are a lot of things that are wrong with this story. But one of the things that I think uh, is, is the biggest issue with this story is it's completely me-centered. Right? It's very me-centered. It's all about me and, and my life and whether I do right or wrong or whether I believe the right or wrong things and then where I will end up someday. It's all about me. 
But the Bible, I hope you know, is not about me. It's not about you. The Bible, the focus of the Bible is all about God and what God is doing in the world. The gospel is about God and his activity and his plan for the world he made. And it comes to a climax in this thing called the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven arriving here in Jesus. We also need to understand that the gospel is not just one little piece of the Bible, but it's the story told throughout the whole of the Bible. It's a story that Jesus enters into that's already been taking place. And Jesus was very much actively involved in that. But it's it's like he's jumping into this rushing river. If we just take the gospel as this one little piece of scripture, we're missing the fact that it's, it's a story that has been going all throughout history. Something that God has been doing from the beginning all the way to the end. And Jesus enters into that and he brings it to fulfillment. So the gospel is the story of scripture. And so we need to understand what is this story? So page one of the Bible. In the beginning, God created what? Heaven and hell? Not heaven and hell, right? Heaven, hell, and earth? No, in the beginning, God created heaven and earth, right? Let me give myself a little bit more space here. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth, right? You guys familiar with that? Of course. Now, these two spaces, heaven and earth, were they separate spaces in the beginning? No. <laughs> Not completely. All right, they weren't, they, they weren't the same. They're, they're different, but they weren't necessarily separate. They intersected, right? We can imagine it like this. In the beginning, heaven and earth were intersected in a place called Eden, right? The Garden of Eden. That's what, that's what the garden was. It was this intersection point where heaven and earth overlapped and were one and the same. And how we can imagine that is it's, it's, a, it's God's space and our space. Okay? We, could, we could say in some sense spiritual and physical, but there are certainly physical realities of God's space and there are certainly spiritual realities of our space. But God's space and our space overlap in this place called Eden, which is a Hebrew word meaning delight. Okay, it's fitting, right? Okay, we got to delight in our relationship with God and in our, in our space that was shared with God. So Eden was a place where God lived with his creation. It wasn't some otherworldly disembodied spiritual reality. It was a present, earthly, both spiritual and physical place. It was a place that were, was absent of all these things that we talked about here at the beginning. It was a place of, of beauty and, and, and peace and goodness and wholeness and innocence and abundance. It was a great place. Now God, we humans existed in this garden. God put humans there and he gave them a, a, a unique responsibility among creation. They had a purpose. It wasn't some meaningless passive existence. So in, in the beginning, when God made this world, what he intended for it to be, humans weren't floating around in this kind of eternal, like directionless, meaningless existence. They had a very specific and very important job to do. The job was to partner with God, to care for and cultivate and even rule over 
this garden space. And, and so God invited them to partner with him in, in doing this. And he, and he told them, make more humans and make more communities and make more garden spaces where, where I can dwell with my creation. So there was movement in the beginning. There was a sense where these spaces were intended to come together. Now, this brings up a, an important uh, point that might come to a surprise to, to some of us, but certainly uh, others that we know is that. The Bible says creation was very good, but it never says that creation was complete. It never says that creation was perfect in the sense that there was no work to be done or, or no destination that, that was not yet reached. There was work to do. In other words, creation was not the final and complete product, but it was the start of a project. Okay, you might, if you've been listening to the Garden Project podcast, you may be familiar with that line. Okay? It wasn't the final and complete product. It was the start of a project, a project that, that people, God's image bearers, image bearers we'll talk about actually in a couple weeks. I'm excited for that conversation. Uh, but it's a, it's a project that we've been invited into. A project that, and, and, and it's not a project that has been abandoned by God. All right? God is not on to plan B. But he's still doing this. He's still inviting us into this thing that he set out to do at the beginning, this merging of heaven and earth. And that's what God's doing. And the problem is, the reason that we don't see or haven't seen it happen to its full extent is, you know, we haven't done a great job at partnering with God in that project. Instead of working with him to expand this space where heaven and earth intersect, this union of heaven and earth, we have mostly gone off and done our own thing by our own rules, taking advantage of this good world that God made and, and taking advantage of one another and, 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 and lived with pride and selfishness, wanted to be our own gods. And we've just not been great partners in this. And in many ways, we've, we've actively fought against God in this project. We fought against bringing this world to a place of, of goodness, this place that we all say we long for. And because of our, our unwillingness or, or uh, inability to some extent to work with God in this project, it's led to an absolute mess. It's led to all this pain and brokenness and, and the, the, all this corruption that we talked about at the beginning. And, and what's happened is we've filled this physical space with just a lot of brokenness, a lot of mess. Okay? And, and it's, it's incompatible with God's space. Hey. But we have to understand, because I think we often think of, of our world and, and God as being incompatible. It wasn't made to be incompatible. We've made it incompatible. Okay. So what did God do? Well, he kicked us out of this space, right? This, this heaven and earth space. He, he kicked us out, but he didn't give up on this space or, or the, his plan. He just didn't want us to destroy it. He didn't want us to derail it. He wanted it to, to, to actually happen. He has not given up on this plan. This intersection point of heaven and earth has... So, so what's happened since then is this intersection point, it's continued to exist, right? It didn't disappear. This garden space didn't go away. Yeah, it just took different forms. So, so some of the most prominent examples of this in the Old Testament is this thing called the tabernacle, right? 
uh, in Exodus, the second book of the Bible, God has Israel set up this tent as they're wandering through the desert. And, and this tent is intended to reflect this garden space. And it's the space where God dwells with his people. It's a, it's a holy space. And in order for, for uh, humans to enter into this space, they have to deal with some of that mess. And that's where we get into sacrifice and all that. Uh, something that we're not going to talk about today, but it would be great to talk about that at some point. But they have to deal with all this mess and create kind of a clean space so that they can enter into this, this intersection point between heaven and earth. The tabernacle then becomes the temple in Jerusalem, a more permanent space uh, in, in the, the holy city, as it's called. All right, Now, this is a space, again, where, where God is, is uh, supposedly dwelling with his people. Uh, and, and they would think of it. So, so the ancient Hebrews did not think of heaven like we think of it as this far off, otherworldly, kind of disembodied space in the sky. They, they thought of it as somewhat of another dimension that could intersect with and show up in our space. And that's what the temple was. It was this intersection point between heaven and earth. But then Jesus shows up. Right? And it changes everything. Everything begins to change. Jesus becomes this space where heaven and earth are united, where God dwells with man. And what we see happening is this space is no longer hidden away in the temple or, or uh, it's no longer restricted, but, but it is actually going out into this world, into this mess, and bringing the presence of God into the brokenness. In Jesus... Heaven began showing up in the lives of people who would never be welcomed into this space. That's why people got so mad at Jesus, because he was spending time with people that uh, not only wouldn't be welcomed in this space, but weren't, weren't welcome to associate with the people that protected this space, okay, the religious people. Jesus entered into the brokenness and the mess of this world and, and he brought the presence of God with him. He was the presence of God. Again, we see God walking with his creation, walking with his people in, 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 the, in the world, just like it, it happened in the garden. So how we can imagine this is now this space has gone out and we see Jesus creating these little pockets of life and light in the brokenness and death and pain. Hey, that's how we can imagine Jesus' life as he, as he goes into the world as this intersection point between heaven and earth. But it didn't stop there. Then Jesus sends out his followers to create little communities that would continue this work of bringing heaven to earth. Uh, that would continue to confront the, the evil and the brokenness of the world. And he, he doesn't send them out on their own, but he actually empowers them with his spirit, with his presence to guide them and work through these communities. This is why uh, I think the, the term body of Christ that we use for the church has become so powerful to me uh, recently. Because if we imagine it, it's in Jesus's body that heaven and earth intersect. Well, why is the church called the body of Christ? Because now it's in the church, in these communities centered around Jesus, the body of Christ, that heaven and earth intersects. And, this, and the, the purpose of the church is this outward moving into the world, bringing heaven to earth. And we do it in the power of Jesus. 
finally, uh, the Bible leaves us with a big promise, right? It doesn't just say, go out and do this and, and you know, let me know when it's done. It leaves us with a big promise. In Revelation 21 and 22, we're not going to read it today, but we certainly will spend time in it uh, over the next couple months. But the Bible says that one day Jesus will return and everything will be renewed. The project will be complete. Once and for all, heaven and earth fully uh, uh, united. There will be no more pain, no more brokenness, no more evil. All that will be wiped away. And the project that God set out to do at the beginning will be complete. So this is the, this is the gospel. That heaven has arrived on earth in the person of Jesus. And there's so much, obviously, to, to this story that we can unpack. But, but that is what Jesus went around saying. Heaven has come to earth. God is here. And there are implications to that. And it means confronting the evil and the brokenness and the pain in this world. It's a very different story than what many of us hear. But it is so much more powerful. And, and I believe so much more compelling. And it deals with the brokenness that we see in this world in, in a way that, that I think many of us wonder, how could this ever take place? How could the brokenness ever actually be addressed? This deals with that. It promises that the world will one day be the good world that we long for. So this is, uh, we're going to spend our our next two months really unpacking this. Um, We're going to talk about things like hell and evil. And we're going to talk about, obviously, the significance of Jesus' resurrection next week. And and we'll talk about incarnation. What what, what does it mean that God showed up as a man? Uh, We're going to talk about image of God. What does it mean that we are image bearers of of God? And we're going to talk about... Um, the significance of, of Sabbath and, and how that plays a role in, in all this as well as, you know, that in the creation story, that seventh day creation of Sabbath. What, what does that mean for us and how does it point us to where this world is going? So we're going to address some of these big issues. But what I want to do uh, here today, just as we close, is um, I, I want us to, to, to process this question. What breaks your heart? Okay, we, we, we talked about this at the beginning, but, but what really breaks your heart? I really want us to sp- spend some time exploring that, both right now and then throughout the week. What do you long for Jesus to enter into and make right? I think we, we often want to dismiss those things that break our hearts. And, you know, we might we dwell on it for a little bit and then we just because we don't know what to do with that. But I think we need to really learn how to uh, um, identify those things that are not the way they should be. And, and certain, cert, uh, we'll, we'll have certain things that we're particularly passionate about and that might look different for different ones of us. But we want to identify those things and we want to, to really put our energy and our emotion into that. And, and, and spend time, most importantly, praying that God would enter into that and make it right. We want to plead with God to make this happen, to bring heaven to earth, and, and certainly to use us to do it. But, but I, I think my tendency is to often jump to that. How can we address this issue? I think what we need to do today and, and in the week following is, is how, how can we just long for God to make the world right? Because we can't do it. He can do it. So what breaks your heart? 
take the next five minutes and Brooks will come up at some point and start playing and lead us in a time of worship. But take the next five minutes. I encourage you to write that down. All right. Or later today, write it down if you can't right now. And, and I encourage you to I'll give you some extra time. So five minutes. So when, when you have those things that break your heart, the one or two things, uh, pray, really pray for God to enter into that space and pray in the way that Jesus taught his followers to pray. Right. Pray that God's kingdom would come. That heaven would come, that his will would be would be done. Here on earth as it is in heaven. That should be our prayer every day as we see the brokenness and the pain in this world. And, 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 and as we long for the world to be a better world, may it always drive us to pray that prayer. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So take the next five minutes or so and let's just spend some time focusing on that before we close in worship. All right.